nice to see each one of you here tonight. And tonight we will be learning how to take care of an incredible, malicious disease that is out there and how we can basically live without having to deal with the symptoms. Diabetes Undone is the seminar that we are bringing to our church here, um, not just for this weekend, but for the entire month of September. And Dr. West Youngberg will be explaining a little more about what will be happening here on Mondays and Thursday nights, um, starting at 7 p.m. with those who would like to participate in this program. But to start off, we would like to begin with a word of prayer. So just invite you to pray with me at this moment. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity that you give us to meet together, to learn how to take care of this incredible body that you gave us. And Father, we praise you for the way that you have provided information in our times so that we can deal with different kinds of diseases and symptoms that are so common today in our society. And how we can take care of it with simple remedies and, and by changing our lifestyle. And so again, we invite your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and minds as we listen to Dr. Wes Youngberg share with us from the research that he has done. We thank you for being our God. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. With you, Dr. Wes Youngberg. Thank you, Pastor Sam. Uh, actually, I'm really excited about this weekend. Uh, we're actually kicking off, for the first time in this community, the Diabetes Undone program. And so this, this weekend, in a three-part series, we're going to be answering the question, what's the real value of the average individual addressing the question of diabetes and prediabetes. Now, most people that are interested in a weekend like this or a program, an intensive program like this, are usually the ones that have either been diagnosed with prediabetes or diabetes or have a family member that has that, and, or just the, the, the individuals that are especially interested in addressing, addressing their health issues in, in, a, in an aggressive way. But um, the reality is that if you're over age 40, like I suspect most of us in this room are right now, now at least one out of two of you already have prediabetes. In fact, that's just if you're between age 40 and age 64, or excuse me, age 59. If you're between ages of 60 and 74, at least two out of three of you already have a minimum of prediabetes. In other words, those of you in this room right now, if you don't have prediabetes, you're in the minority. You're in a very distinct minority. And the, the, the challenge is, is that 90% of people who right now have prediabetes don't know it. In fact, their impression is that they don't have any problem with prediabetes at all. I just saw a patient yesterday whose fasting blood sugar was perfect. It was 74. 
I, I rarely see a fasting blood sugar that good. And she was in her early 70s, and she was proud of the fact that she'd been, you know, so healthy most of her life, but then she started noticing some things weren't going the way that she wanted, but primarily she was one of those aggressive ones that wants to do everything best and make sure that the golden years are truly golden, right? That, that the, the, the years as we age are really good years where we are still functional and we have vitality and we can accomplish all the things that we worked so hard all those years to be able to enjoy after retirement. And so she was one of those, so those uh, generally healthy individuals who just wanted to double check. Well, we did a glucose tolerance test on her, a, a test where we actually don't just check the blood sugars before breakfast and go, hey, your blood sugars are great. Come back next year and we'll check you again. We did a, we did a, a, a a test that involves actually drinking a sugary solution, like a, like a sweet soda, a carbonated uh, soda drink, and then rechecking the blood sugar an hour, two hours, three hours, and four hours. And we also measured the insulin response to that. Well, to make a long story short, her, her one-hour blood sugar, her fasting blood sugar again was 74. Her one-hour blood sugar was over 200, was 212. Her two-hour blood sugar was right around that as well. And guess what that means in medicine? If your two-hour blood sugar after a meal of any kind goes to 200 or higher, you actually don't just have prediabetes, you have full-blown diabetes. And so by doing an extra, putting the extra effort to evaluate uh, her health and putting her metabolism under a little bit of stress by drinking that sugar, now seeing how the body handles that, we discovered that her fasting blood sugars in no way predicted her health even though for years, actually over 30 years, she had been told, oh, your blood, your blood sugars are perfect, when in fact they weren't. And so that's why 90% of those of us who have prediabetes don't know it. We simply don't know it. Okay? And, and, and most of us over 40 have prediabetes. Now, if you're over age 75, it's actually three out of four of us already have a minimum of prediabetes. And in at least a third of that age group have full-blown diabetes, many of which don't know that either. So, okay, so, so just if, if you're willing to accept the statistics that chances are you have prediabetes, okay? So if you're over 40, chances are you have prediabetes, unless proven otherwise, and so the safe approach in, in medicine is to just not assume that you're part of that 30% or 40% that don't have prediabetes. You want to make sure you rule that out, right? You want to make sure that you're not at risk. Don't assume that. And so chances are you have prediabetes at minimum. Not knowing it doesn't change that fact. Now, um, but there's actually 
even better reasons to take advantage of this information. And, and, and this weekend, we're going to be highlighting the reasons why we should be paying attention to this. So I'm going to just kind of be talking to you uh, in, this, in this part one session, and then tomorrow it'll be part two, and that'll be really interesting tomorrow morning. Um, I don't want to give you too many clues because uh, let's just say it'll be really interesting. <laughs> and then tomorrow evening, part three, will be the kind of the, fine, the culmination of reasons why programs like this could be of value to you. And this program is, is what we call Diabetes Undone. Diabetes Undone is, is a, a comprehensive program that was developed by Life and Health Network, uh, a, an organization that's committed to providing uh, high-quality television and video in the area of health, and especially in the area of lifestyle medicine. So I had the privilege to work with them for two years to put this series together. And this is a series that is actually being, being presented as a workshop series at hospitals, at clinics, at community centers, even in people's homes for the neighborhood, and especially in churches like this one. So this is the first time this program has been offered here in our community. But as we speak, this program is being run all across the United States and Canada. In fact, just two weeks ago, I was in Thousand Oaks, California, doing a similar kickoff weekend for their Diabetes Undone program that is starting at the same time as ours. Okay, ours in, in our community right now is starting next Thursday. But uh, all around the United States, just others are starting at var various dates. My parents... <laughs> to give you an example of, of you're never too old to, to run and coordinate a program who are in their late 80s. In fact, my mother is turning 90 this month, and, and she is coordinating and spearheading a Diabetes Undone program at Andrews University, where they're retired professors, and I, that's my alma mater. I graduated from Andrews University in Michigan, and they're starting one of those programs next week as well. And so this is, this is being done everywhere, and, and so I'm going to be sharing with you how to take advantage of that information, and, and frankly, how you can actually run it in other communities, even in your homes or other churches for yourself. Um, all right, so uh, in, in our program here locally, what we're going to be doing, as, as you heard Pastor uh, Sam talk about, is, is we're going to be running them on Monday and Wednesday, or excuse me, Monday and Thursday evenings from 7 to 8, 8.30. And so we're, we're promised that we're going to end on time and, and, and be everybody out of the door be, before 8.30. <laughs> and so that program goes for four weeks. So this is a four-week commitment just twice a week in the evenings to revolutionize your health done in a workshop head, a setting with, uh, with like-minded individuals around round tables, in this case right here in our fellowship hall, uh, where you're learning together how to optimize your health. Not just reverse diabetes or prediabetes or, or even prevent 
pre-diabetes, but to address the underlying issues that we're going to be talking about this weekend. Um, You can even, right now, go to, on the internet, diabetesundone.com, as you can see on the screen, and you can, you can uh, see this program. This program is actually available for individuals anywhere in the world, but the best way to take advantage of a program like this is in a group setting. And that's, that's what we're going to be doing. And the neat thing about doing it in a group setting, it's actually cheaper, and you get a cookbook, that's designed for optimizing health, a plant-based cookbook with 70 pages that addresses even those of us that don't cook. I'm not a cook. I'll just admit it. I'm a nutritionist, but I'm really not a cook. Uh, my wife is. Other people are. But, um, but I can still eat healthy not being a cook. How do you do that? Well, that's what you learn in, in the cookbook that comes with this kit that's available with Diabetes Undone. It also comes with a workbook that walks you through setting goals and reaching your goals in an effective way and access to all 40 short videos that are educating you and motivating you on how to do comprehensive lifestyle medicine in addition to the workshop setting. Okay, so, so that's what this weekend is all about. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sharing with you examples of how this really applies to every one of us. Uh, the, the, when I frequently talk to audiences all over the country, I, when we talk about the idea of diabetes undone or goodbye diabetes, it's important to understand that the number one thing we prevent or reverse when we're addressing the underlying issues of diabetes and prediabetes is heart disease cardiovascular disease. If, if we are effective in addressing diabetes or prediabetes, which is so common, the majority of adults have it, we're actually addressing the number one cause of heart attacks and strokes. It's rarely presented that way, but it actually is the, uh, for all intents and purposes, the, it has the, that's the lion's share of risk comes from that what we call metabolic syndrome or pre-diabetic syndrome would be another way to describe it. And it relates to one of the major drivers, both initiators and promoters of cancer. And so, and so that's the, the C word is the, one of the most dreaded words in terms of our personal medical care. And in fact, by addressing these issues... There is no single more important strategy to lower our risk for cancer and also optimize our own fight against cancer than addressing the underlying insulin resistance that, that drives cancer. Okay, so, so that's, that's a real motivating factor. And throughout this weekend, we're going to be actually showing you studies on why that is. It's something that is hardly ever discussed and yet, the medical literature has been clear about this for over 40 years. If your body is resistant to insulin so that your pancreas has to make more insulin to counteract 
or to try to control those blood sugars more effectively, that extra insulin that your body's producing or that you're having to inject above normal levels, insulin's not bad. I want to make that clear. Normal amounts of insulin are not only are not only not bad, but they're actually extremely important for for health and survival. But if we're having to take extra insulin to compensate for a higher blood sugar that's associated with maybe the wrong diet or the lack of exercise, whatever it might be, that, if our body's having to produce more insulin to control that, that's driving cancer risk. And we've known that for over 40 years. A lot of literature on that. We'll, get, we'll explain that in more detail as we go. Now, the, the, the key thing in terms of this diabetes undone uh, uh, approach is that diabetes and prediabetes really only represents the tip of the iceberg. So as you can see on this slide, the, the tip of the iceberg is only maybe represents maybe 5% or 10% of the real problem. And so in, in conventional care today, it is felt that if we just control blood sugars through whatever means available to us, through whatever medications or insulin or whatever it might be, that we're solving the entire problem. And that's absolutely not true. In fact, a study just came out this month that, that uh, and this was in Medscape, one of the key online journals for physicians, uh, is saying that the experts are now saying, wait a minute, tight blood sugar control. In other words, just simply controlling blood sugars is not doing what we say it's doing. It's been, quote, known for for 20 years or so, that the better you control blood sugars, the lower your risk of complications. But the, the, as the studies are being more evaluated more meticulously, and more and more studies are being done, and those are being evaluated together, the researchers are saying, that's not true. Just simply bringing the blood sugars under control with medications, with typical strategies, actually doesn't lower the risk for complications. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, we actually need to address the underlying cause of the problem. So the blood sugar elevations are a red flag that something is wrong. Basically, cutting that red flag off and throwing it away doesn't mean there isn't a problem anymore. Okay? The, the, the real problem is still there. 90% of the problem is this gargantuan uh, uh, ice flow under the surface of the ocean that you can't see. At least you can't see if you're not looking for it. And the beauty of a lifestyle medicine approach to undoing diabetes or prediabetes is that we, we don't fail to also look at the underlying reason this is happening and not just simply treat the initial symptom or the initial sign of the problem. Okay, so, so this is a fundamental principle in lifestyle medicine that you have to treat the cause or else you might actually be creating more of a problem with your treatment plan relative to your health 
than you had before you even knew about the problem. Okay, so in other words, the bottom line message here is that the research is now showing if you are comfortable in just treating a blood sugar with a medication, you're actually setting yourself up for complications. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that medications are, are in of themselves bad. I'm saying if they're not addressing the cause of the problem, don't expect the problem to go away right? But when you take them. Okay, so, so the, what we want to do is make sure we understand the underlying factors. Now, I've, I've always told my patients that you are the chairman or the chairwoman of the board of your health. I'm not in charge. Your family doctor's not in charge. Your cardiologist isn't in charge. Your endocrinologist isn't in charge. You're in charge because if you don't take charge of your health, you're not going to be healthy. You have to make the decisions ultimately on what you do because none of your healthcare team is going to be with you 24-7 to guide you all along the way, right? These are decisions that you have to make on a regular basis. So, um, so I want to start with a... A, a story of a patient of mine who initially wasn't a patient of mine at all, and this was Tom Zapara. Just, just about six weeks ago, I, or two months ago, I was in Loma Linda University at, a, at actually a basketball tournament that my daughter in high school was playing in, and, um, and so there was a couple hours between games, so I decided I went to the Loma Linda market, and I was going to get a really healthy sandwich. I wasn't going to go to, to, to a fast food place. I was going to get a really healthy sandwich. And so I went there, and as I was sitting there eating my healthy sandwich, in comes Tom Zapara from Laguna Beach. Now, now, Tom is the quintessential chairman of the board. He, he's been the chairman of the board and, 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 and the owner of, of multi-national uh, multi, uh, organizations that uh, have done all kinds of great things, and, and because of that, he's been a philanthropist donating many millions of dollars throughout his life to educational institutions and healthcare institutions, etc. And, and he just happens also to be the chairman of the board of a publication company, a publisher, that uh, he had been putting pressure on to produce a book on diabetes. Now, it just so happens that this publisher is Dan Houghton, who's from this very community. Um, in fact, he's even the head elder of this church that we're in right now. And, and, um, and so Tom Zapara had a, a close friend who had out-of-control diabetes, and so he, he was eager to have a book written that would address all the underlying factors that were causing this out-of-control diabetes in his friend so that he could help his friend accomplish uh, a potential reversal. So, so for 
literally years, he, Tom harped on Dan to get this book done, and Dan harped on me to get the book done. So it took about four years for this to happen, and that's, that's this book, Goodbye Diabetes, which is essentially a lifestyle medicine manual for dealing with diabetes. But um, so, so Tom comes in with his daughter, uh, who's studying to be a chaplain at Loma Linda, and and, uh, and so we just get talking, and, and he said, hey, you know, I need to, I need to get some, uh, to be retested. And it reminds me of this story when he first came to me about four years ago. He was 89 years old. And, and as he read this book that he had commissioned himself, he became aware that, well, you know, I'm, I'm in my late 80s, almost 90, you know, if three-fourths of people over 75 are pre-diabetic, I'm probably pre-diabetic myself, right? So unless, I'm, unless I'm one of the, the five percenters that aren't, you know, at that age. And so he decided, he, he called me up and he says, Wes, I need to get tested. And so he came to my office and we went through the consultation and we ordered all the tests. And when he came back to see me a week later, I said, Tom, you have out-of-control diabetes. And he, he goes like, why? He, he, didn't, he, he wasn't quite sure how to take that because he was doing this for his friend, right? This is, he didn't expect it to be his problem. And, and this, this is, it was such a bad problem. And he said, uh, you know, just tell it like it is, Wes. You know, just come on, tell me the truth. I said, I'm telling you the truth. You have out-of-control diabetes. In fact, your one-hour blood sugar after you had that, that sugar drink at the lab was over 300. And, and, so, and so as a chairman of the board would typically do, he slapped his hand on the, on the uh, desk in front of him, and he says, what are we going to do about this? And I, I, I loved it when, so I love it when somebody says that. And so I said, we have a plan. And you have a book in front of you that already has the plan outlined. And so we immediately started initiating a comprehensive strategy. And <clears throat> at the baseline test, Tom had a hemoglobin A1C. Now, if you have diabetes or if you're paying attention to health, Everybody should know what their hemoglobin A1C test is. I wish there was a better name for it. I'd like to change that to the caramelized protein test. It's, it's the sticky sugar test. It's, it's the how much sugar has glazed itself irreversibly to the proteins in your bloodstream and the proteins everywhere, blood flows in your body, which is everywhere from head to toe. It's the amount of caramelization, of, of glazing of sugar to protein. And his caramelization test, his hemoglobin A1C, was very elevated. In fact, if you have an optimal A1C level, it's right around 5.0. Now, I'm not talking about optimal for a diabetic. I'm talking about optimal for somebody who thinks they're healthy. Thinks they're generally healthy. So if your hemoglobin A1C isn't somewhere around 5.1 or 5.0, you're, 
you're not optimally healthy from a blood sugar standpoint. Because that means that as, as your hemoglobin A1C goes above 5.1, that means you're getting blood sugar spikes after eating. And a blood sugar spike means your body's resistant to insulin, which also then means that you have an insulin sensitivity problem. And your pancreas now is forced to produce more and more insulin, which is a major risk factor for cancer, for high blood pressure, for heart attacks, for strokes, and for autoimmune disease, and for Alzheimer's, okay? And so we have simple strategies available to reverse that. So, um, so if your hemoglobin A1C goes up to 5.7, that's prediabetes. If your hemoglobin A1C, that caramelization test, now goes up to 6.5, now that's full diabetes. It's not just borderline diabetes. That is now, you're now in another country. You're in diabetes country. Okay? Now, once you cross into diabetes country, can you reverse that? It used to be said, once a diabetic, always a diabetic. And that's not true. It never was true. But if you believe it, you'll live it. Whether you think you can, whether you think you can't, you're right. I believe that was Henry Ford who, who said that phrase, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And so, so that's why this, this Diabetes Undone kickoff weekend is all about establishing hope an awareness that change is possible, and not just a little bit of change. Now, we're not talking about baby steps. We're talking about undoing this. We're talking about reversing the risk, uh, the condition, and reversing the risk that it poses on every aspect of health, not just diabetes. So, so Tom, his A1C was 7.1. Okay? It, it's not a super high diabetic level, but it's definitely diabetic. And so, so every single test that was available that related to diabetes showed he had diabetes. But as any person who's ever been successful in any aspect of their life, and Tom, who we certainly could argue, is one of those who had been extremely successful so much that he had amassed many millions of dollars in his business. So much money that he could give millions and millions away uh, uh, to other organizations that were helping people around the world. And so, so I know when anybody comes to me who's had success in any aspect of their life, I know that I have somebody that knows what, knows what success is and knows that success requires an attitude and a will okay, and a desire and a belief that it can be done, and then you do it. You don't listen to the naysayers that it can't be done. Well, my doctor told me. I, I had a patient tell me just today, just this morning, that my doctor told me that I have diabetes and that I'm going to have this for the rest of my life. 
And you know what's interesting is that as I sat with him and evaluated his labs that he had done after initiating some, some strategies all on his own, it already showed that he didn't have diabetes anymore. He still had advanced pre-diabetes, but he, he had already, through his own initiative, moved from diabetes to pre-diabetes. Um, Tom got to work. Now, I'm telling you this story because, you know, a lot of us say, you know, um, if I was just 10 years younger, yeah, I'd do something about this. But, you know, I'm, I'm up in my golden years. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a young whippersnapper anymore. You know, I got aches and pains. You know, I, I, just, I just don't have the energy to put forth all this effort to try to undo diabetes or, di- or pre-diabetes or whatever it might be. Um, and so, so Tom, at the age of 89, uh, gets to work. And, and he... He had some challenges. As I, as I saw him walking down the hall, he'd kind of do this. He was very unsteady on his feet. And, and as I talked with him and his wife about the value of exercising after meals, which we'll talk about later, his wife kind of looked at me and said, this means that I'm going to have to go walking with him. I said, yes, isn't that great? And she kind of gave me a little scowl. But the reality is that it's dramatically improved her health too, so that in just six weeks... One week before his 90th birthday, he says, I want to get tested again. I said, Tom, it's only been six weeks. And he says, I know, but I've been consistent, and I want to get tested again. And hey, hey, I said, you're chairman of the board. You know, I'm, I work for you. So I, we tested him. And his hemoglobin A1C had already come down from 7.1 to 6.1. Now, what does that mean? That means that in six weeks, 89-year-old Tom, one week before his 90th birthday, had already reversed type 2 diabetes. That's what it means. Okay? And it would be illogical to say anything else. I know I've been in this field for over 25 years, and I've had many people tell me, you can't reverse diabetes. There's no documented way to say that you've reversed diabetes. And I said, just be logical. If somebody loses 80 pounds and they're no longer obese, do you say, well, you know, I'm glad you lost that 80 pounds, but you're still technically obese because you used to be obese. Does that make any sense? Of course it doesn't make any sense. And so the bottom line is that we have much greater power over our health than we ever imagined. So a year, another year goes by. See, some of the naysayers will go, yeah, well, you know, you got to motivate him for six weeks. Good luck maintaining that, right? Uh, we've all heard things like that. Yeah, you can do anything for a couple of weeks, but what about long term? So a year and a half goes by. Tom is now 90, actually two years. He's 92 years old, and we've been, you know, tracking him over time. And, and he calls me up and says, Wes, I've been in Hawaii for six months, and, you know, I just want to make sure I'm on track here. I want to make sure that I'm doing the right things. And so we tested him, and his hemoglobin A1C is 5.1. 5.1. I said, Tom, the average college student has a higher hemoglobin A1C than you do. He kind of smiled, a little twinkle in his eye. Yeah, so these kids got nothing on me, right? And, and, and now, and then another year goes by. 
It's, it's right around his 93rd birthday. This is just this is just a couple months ago when he came to see, when, when we ran into each other at the, mall, at the Loma Linda Market, and Tom, Tom essentially said, I need to get tested again. So we tested him. He said, I want to make sure I'm not slipping. You know, and, and, and he said, I, I think I might be slipping a little bit in a couple of areas. So we tested him, and yes, he'd slipped up a little bit. His hemoglobin A1C had gone from 5.1 to 5.2. Which is as near optimal as you can be without being truly optimal. But compared to conventional standards, he's a young kid who's fit. Why? Because he goes for a walk every morning after breakfast for 45 minutes. And if you live anywhere near Laguna Beach, you can pretty much set your clock to Tom and Vi uh, Zapara. Because they are out there walking for 45 minutes for two, two plus mile uh, uh, walk around their neighborhood overlooking Laguna Beach. Okay, so he did it. He did it because he was told that it was possible. He believed it. He put the effort into it, and he accomplished it. Um, he also had a he was revolutionary. You know what he told me just, just recently? He, uh, in fact, I just saw him at a, at a conference about a month ago, uh, three weeks ago, and he says, Wes, he says, I decided... He says, you know, I'm 93 years old now. I don't need desserts anymore. He says, you know what? I don't miss them at all. I didn't tell him he couldn't ever eat desserts. I don't, I don't tell people that. And she says, so, you know, I, I decided that I wanted to optimize my health. She says, I, I love life. I know that I'm in my golden years. I know that I don't have an infinite amount of years left. But I want to maximize not only my years, but I want to add life to my years. I want to have optimal well, And that's the attitude to have. And he said, I don't miss it anymore. I don't eat in between meals anymore. I don't, and I don't eat it in the evening. I don't eat at night. He said, I used to eat at night all the time. It wasn't bad food. It's just, you know, I just felt hungry and I went and made a sandwich. So now, 60 pounds lighter. And you know, he never really looked like he was that overweight in the first place, but now you can tell the difference. He lost those 60 pounds, and that wasn't the reason he reversed his diabetes, by the way. It's not a weight issue, primarily. You'll learn more about that tomorrow morning. Okay? The real issue with diabetes is the, the lifestyle that we follow, the choices that you make day to day. That determines the risk of, in, in regards to type 2 diabetes. All right, so, so Tom was powerful in accomplishing his goal because he looked at the challenge in front of them like a business decision, and he says, what are all the factors that influence the potential for me to be successful? What are all the factors, you know, have you ever heard of in business the SWOT analysis, the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats to your business decision? And so he thought like a businessman. He says, what, what are the things that I need to watch out for? What are the things that I need to make sure that I take advantage of so that I'm successful? And, and so that essentially is epitomized in the concept of the exposome. The exposome is all the things in our life, all the things that we're exposed to, all the, the things in our environment, the things that we eat, the things that we drink, the things that we that we uh, pay attention to, that we behold, the things that we think, and the things that we do. 
All of that represents different aspects of the exposome, which then in turn turn genes on or turn genes off. And it's the exposome that we have a lot of control over. And by making good decisions with regards to our exposome, we can dramatically impact the expression of the very genes in our body, optimizing the good genes and literally turning off the genes that lead to disease, including the genes associated with type 2 diabetes and prediabetes and cancer, etc. Okay, so this reminds me of, of a wonderful quote from Norman Cousins, who I heard, I heard him say this in person at Loma Linda University about 30 years ago. He said, don't deny the diagnosis, defy the verdict. So many people don't have seen, have seen family members consumed by diabetes and heart disease and cancer and autoimmune disease and Alzheimer's that they don't even want to find out if they have any tendency to that problem because it's too stressful for them to address. And I'm here to suggest to you that 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 perspective is based on a misunderstanding of risk in a misunderstanding of risk factors, even if it's genetic risk factors, because risk factors do, are not the determining factors that lead to disease. It's what we do about those risk factors that determines whether we're healthy or not for the most part. And so that's why Norman Cousins says, find out, don't deny the diagnosis, embrace the diagnosis, and then defy it. Do something about it. Undo it. Get rid of it. That's what we want to accomplish. So, um, why are so many church organizations sponsoring diabetes undone programs all over North America and beyond? It's, it's, I think one reason is uh, echoed in the words of the Apostle John, who said, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. So, so spiritual health actually is determined in many respects also by physical and emotional health, a topic that we're going to be getting, uh, delving in in an interesting way tomorrow that deals with diabetes directly, and I think you'll really enjoy that. So um, when, I was, when I was a teenager, some of you know that, that my mother... My biologic mother passed away when I was uh, just, just 10 years old from a terminal brain cancer, and it changed my life forever. Uh, I loved my mother. Uh, she, 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 I was a mama's boy. I, I loved being with my mother, and it, it, it rocked my world to when I realized that I'd never see her again. But another thing that happened to me because of her death is it instilled within me a deep, deep passion for asking the question, why? Why did this happen? And, and if we can figure out enough of those whys, we can actually greatly limit our personal risk for what happened to my mother and what happened to so many of our parents and loved ones today as they go to their graves early because of conditions that potentially were preventable 
if they would have known the answer to the why ahead of time. And so, so as, as a couple years after my mother passed away, my dad um, uh, told me about a book, a book called The Ministry of Healing. And if you have never read that book, I would challenge you to just look it up online. It's actually, you can read the whole thing online. It's great. It's the ministry of healing is, in my opinion, the most comprehensive and holistic book written over 100 years ago, by the way. Uh, uh, but it was an inspired book that, that inspired me to understand the whys, the things that led, that lead to disease, and so that I could prevent that in me and help others accomplish the same thing. So here's a, here's a quote from this book, The Ministry of Healing, that, that has this most holistic and global and, and comprehensive approach to, to getting to that tipping point where the body is literally healing rather than breaking down. Okay, so, uh, so let me read this for you. The only hope of better things is in the education of the people and right principles. Let physicians teach the people that restorative power is not in drugs, but in nature. Uh, okay, we're talking about restorative power. It's, this is not saying that drugs are all bad. It's just saying that restorative power in general is not in drugs. Where is it? It's in nature. Okay? Disease. Now listen to this definition of disease. If you really think about it, it'll kind of blow you away because it's totally different than the commonly accepted definition of disease today. Disease is an effort of nature to free the system from conditions that result from a violation of the laws of health. What? <laughs> you know, you, that's a double take. You're like, whoa, that's really deep. What does that really mean? Disease is an effort of nature to free the system from conditions that result from a violation of the laws of health. In other words, if your blood sugars are high, that is an effort of your body to free itself from conditions that result from a violation of the laws of health. So simply taking a drug to lower that blood sugar has done what? It's actually preventing now the body from actually addressing what it was trying to do. Now that, I, I'll probably get some criticism for saying that, but I, I stand by it, okay? And I stand by it because we now know in, uh, definitively how to reverse that process. And it's not by forcing the blood sugars down against the body's will. It's by addressing the cause of that problem, Okay? That, that will eventually then give you all the other benefits, the cancer reduction, the autoimmune disease reduction, the, the, the uh, heart disease reduction, the Alzheimer's disease reduction, and so forth. So here's the second part. In, in the case of sickness, the cause should be, under, should be ascertained. Ah, Wow, somebody had some insights over 100 years ago that has taken us a long time to try to figure out. This is the core of functional medicine. This is the core of lifestyle and nutritional medicine. Treat 
the cause. I, I had the privilege over 10 years ago to be one of the founding directors of, of the, uh, it's actually an international organization called the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And the model that we have for this, this uh, medical college is that we have to treat the cause or we're not going to be able to really accomplish what we think we're trying to accomplish. So, unhealthful conditions should be changed, wrong habits corrected. Then, nature is to be assisted in her effort to expel impurities and to reestablish right conditions in the system. That is brilliant. That, that is just brilliant. Uh, of course, that's really what this Diabetes Undone program is all about, is helping us accomplish uh, this very issue and how to assist nature in its efforts to, to optimize our healing potential. All right, now, um, let me share with you some statements from Dr. Sid Baker. Dr. Sidney Baker, a a professor of medicine at Yale University, now retired, but beloved by his students and thousands of physicians who graduated under his direction and professorship. Uh, one of these Norman Rockwell-type physician professor types that, that, that people revered because of his wisdom and his understanding of how the body worked, not somebody that that just said, well, we do that because, well, that's just the protocol. That's, that's just what I learned in school. Okay? Uh, so many have no understanding as to the why, and they just keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting better results when there's, they're not actually addressing the cause. So this is what Dr. Sidney Baker calls uh, when he discusses this whole issue of treating the symptoms versus the cause. And, and so he says, it's actually quite humorous. He calls them the thumbtack rules. So number one, he says, if you're sitting on a tack, it's going to take a lot of aspirin to make you feel good. Okay? So, so you, can, you just see that. The irony, you know, if you're sitting on a tack, you don't think, well, oh, man, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I, I need some aspirin. Give me, give me some medicine. I'm really hurting here. No, the logical thing is to ascertain the cause, nature is saying to you, hey, dummy, reach back there, pull that tack out, and then you'll feel better, okay? And so what, what we need to learn to do is how to keep pulling the tacks out. Now, the corollary to, to this, uh, to this uh, statement that Dr. Sidney Baker made is that if you're sitting on two tacks, removing just one of those tacks is not going to make you 50% better. Now, this is really, really critical to understand because, see, most of us are not just sitting on two tacks. We remove one, one tack and go, you know, I might, I might feel a little bit better, but I'm still in pain. Therefore, many times we conclude that removing that tack was completely ineffective when, in fact, it was critical to remove that tack 
But it was also even more critical that we continue to remove the other tax that are also contributing to the problem. Make sense? Okay, so a really critical concept because many people, hopefully not too many of us here today, many people are actually sitting on dozens and dozens of tax. It it's, was recently said that Alzheimer's is like walking into a room. And imagine in this beautiful church setting, as you look at the ceiling, if you could see 36 distinctive big holes in the ceiling. Would this be a functional place for people to come and congregate with 36 holes in the ceiling? But the committee gets together, and, and, and they, they calculate what needs to be done, and they say, we have a solution. We are going to fill in three of the holes. We're going to remove three of those tacks. Wonderful, critical, important, necessary. But is it sufficient? It's absolutely not sufficient, and you're not going to notice any real improvements until you fix all 36 holes. Now, it, it, the good news is that our body is so amazingly created and made by God that we don't actually have to fill in all 36 holes. We can... If, if we just do our best to fill in as many of those holes as possible, the ones that we can see, the ones that are obvious, and, and as we study further, we can find other holes and fill those in. But if we do that, the body has this unique ability to actually begin filling in the other holes because you've given it the momentum to heal itself. You have assisted now nature in its effort to free uh, free the body of the very thing that's causing the disease. Okay, so so we need to make sure that we test widely and that we don't just think that because I eat this way, I'm going to be fine. As critical as it might be to eat a certain way, and and, and it's so critical that probably unless you do that, you're not going to get better, we should never assume that that's enough. We need to consider the other factors as well. We need to consider a a truly holistic, broad-based, strategic approach to improving our health. Now, uh, moving on with still Dr. Sidney Baker from Yale University, he, he, he potentially is echoing the very words of Ellen White in the book Ministry of Healing when he said this, optimal health And the potential to heal requires that we first provide all the necessary elements to optimize the system and remove any interfering elements. So two things. Two things must be done. In fact, he he goes uh, goes on to say that nutrients are the necessary elements. We'll learn later about nutrigenomics. We'll learn about genomic testing. And how by learning about what genetic mutations you carry yourself and what genetic mutations were passed down to you from your parents and what genetic mutations you pass on to your children, those are important. Those determine how sensitive we are to the exposome around us. Those those are the things that determine how sensitive we are to what we eat, to what we drink, what what we think, what we do. 
And so you want to know what that is. You want to be aware of what your genomic information is. And, and genomics are critical because mutations in our genes impact nutritional biochemistry. That's why it's important. Okay? When you have a mutation in one gene, that means that now you need a lot more of that specific nutrients in your diet, or else you're not going to have an optimal biochemical pathway in that section of your body, in that section of your cell. Okay? So we need, we need the necessary elements, but we also need to personalize the, the amount of those necessary elements to ourselves, and not assume because I'm doing better than my spouse with my diet, or I'm doing better than my coworker, that I'm actually healthier because you may not be. You may actually be much less healthy because you're not personalizing this. Okay, and then the second key factor in this process is toxins are the interfering elements. The body is created, is designed to detoxify on a, on a minute-by-minute basis through the kidneys, through the lungs, through the digestive tract, uh, through, through the skin, through many, many mechanisms, through the liver. Uh, and, and if those organ systems are not optimal, are not working optimally, we're going to be having a toxicity problem. So, so, we need, so these are the two global strategies that we're going to be exploring in detail in this Diabetes Undone series. Well, um, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge each one of you that are either here or watching this at home that, that, that for you to just eat a meal that's high sugar. First, get access to a glucose monitor. Uh, you can get them at any pharmacy anywhere in the country. Just, just go buy one. Don't expect the insurance company to pay for it. Just buy it. You know, take control of your health. Be responsible for yourself. Don't wait for somebody else to be responsible for you. Get it yourself. Use your own money. Go out, get that kit, and, 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 then, and then check your blood sugar before a meal, and then eat a, eat a very, like, eat a pancake breakfast. Just go for it. Just eat a pancake breakfast, or, or drink a soda, or drink a soda and eat a pancake breakfast, whatever. Just do, do something that's high carb, that's high refined carb, and then check your blood sugar an hour later an hour from the beginning of that meal. That is going to be probably the single most revealing test that you can do. And it's all for the, you can borrow somebody's glucometer if you want, if they'll let you, but get your own. Do something for your family. Every family should have their own glucometer. Test yourself. Because that information is so revealing because it's, it's information that's coming out of your own body. This is a reading from your own blood. And, and so, uh, you know, you can use, I, I call it the Pepsi jelly bean challenge. Uh, okay? Uh, just for a little, just catchy name, just, just t- I tell students uh, at universities that have taught classes, it's just, just go get your favorite drink. I don't care what it is. If it's juice, bring juice. If it's, if it's a Coke, bring Coke. If it's Pepsi, bring Coke. Just bring your favorite drink. And then bring crackers or cookies or something that's starchy. And then we'll check your blood sugars an hour later. Yeah, I would find that, that 10 to 20% of my college students had diabetes and didn't know, didn't know it. And, and, and about a third of them had prediabetes, didn't know it. Uh, and, and so awareness is the key. 
Do that, do that uh, Pepsi jelly bean challenge or carbohydrate loading challenge. Test yourself. I challenge you to do that. Then uh, look on page 90 of the book, Goodbye Diabetes, or this slide right here that shows the stages of high blood sugars. So, so most people are always waiting for their doctor to interpret the test results. But remember, if you're doing a fasting blood sugar, it's missing at least half of the problem, at least half of the problem. And 90% of pre-diabetics who just look at their fasting blood sugar will miss, will miss what's really going on. So take your sugar at one hour and see what stage of high blood sugar you fall under. Okay? And, uh, um, it's, it's, again, very revealing type test. So even if you're not going to do any other testing, at least do this test. So in, in the Diabetes Undone program, we encourage everybody to have their own glucometer and everybody, and if you don't have one, buy one. Just, just, they're not that expensive. Get one and then bring it with you to the program and test your blood sugar before and one hour after every meal for a week or two and then see what happens when you start paying attention to your exposome and we start making decisions that relate to changing genetic expression in your body. And all of a sudden, you'll see blood sugars that were 300 after, after an hour from, from eating, like Tom's Zapara's was, to all of a sudden being now around 120 one hour after the meal, essentially perfect blood sugars in somebody who at one time was diabetic. And now for over four years in his 90s, he has maintained a perfect blood sugar level. Why? Because he found out that there was a problem and he did something about it. And he was consistent with it. Um, That would have been a good place to stop, wouldn't it? (laughs) But I want to share a couple more quick things uh, with you. You see, there's this There's this amazing relationship between blood sugars, prediabetes, diabetes, diabetes, and Alzheimer's. So, as I said earlier, my goal uh, in this three-part series this weekend is to show you how critical this this, uh, whole issue of prediabetes is. Uh, and, and why all of us should be working and striving to reverse those subtle problems with prediabetes or its precursor, which is just high insulin levels. You know, I, I said that, what, at least half of us have prediabetes if we're over 40? Well, guess how many of us have high insulin levels? About 80% or more. I mean, I'm being, I, I think I'm being conservative. Okay. Compared to what our insulin level should be, how much insulin our pancreas is producing, 80-plus percent of adults are producing excessive amounts of insulin. Why? Because the body is resistant to insulin. And resistance to insulin, which is so common throughout the world, is the number one risk factor for Alzheimer's. In fact, it's so related that Alzheimer's has now been referred to in studies for the last 10 years as as diabetes of the brain. 
Alzheimer's is essentially an insulin resistance of the brain, a pre-diabetic syndrome of the brain that, that can be reversed if we address what we're learning in the diabetes undone paradigm. Powerful. Okay, so Alzheimer's can be prevented, and even early and moderate Alzheimer's has now been shown to be reversible up to, when doing the right approach, up to 80% of the time. I know that's, that's maybe stretching it for some of you, right? So how could this be? There's no cure. There's no way to prevent this. Well, certainly there's no cure if we're not addressing the cause, just like 10 years ago, I, I, I was highly criticized when I said that diabetes was potentially reversible. 20, 20 25 years ago, Dr. Dean Ornish was highly criticized when he said heart disease was reversible. But he did the study and he proved it was. Okay? And now we're seeing studies that prove that all these conditions that, that heretofore have been considered to be irreversible and therefore don't even try because it's just the way it is, it's not true. We have potential. So the, the most respected researcher in the area of, of Alzheimer's, Dr. Rudolf Tanzi from Harvard University, he, in his lab, he's discovered the vast majority of the genes associated with Alzheimer's. He's been doing this for research for over 20, 30 years now. Brilliant, brilliant man. And, and and he said something that as I was listening to one of his lectures, he said that Alzheimer's is driven by inflammation. So one of, the, one of the tricks that we need to understand here is how do we lower inflammation? You know what? One of the most inflammatory conditions is insulin resistance. When your body has to produce more insulin to control blood sugars, that drives inflammation through the root. Okay, so the first step that we need to consider in reversing inflammation is get that, that gargantuan ice flow under the water, get rid of it, remove it, get that insulin resistance resolved by addressing a comprehensive program. So that was Dr. Rudolf Tanzi, uh, amazing, amazing researcher. And one of his colleagues, one of his colleagues, Dr. Robert Moore from the Massachusetts uh, General Hospital, uh, was actually speaking with Dr. Rudy uh, uh, a couple years ago at a conference, and he, and he said something that shocked me, because I'd never heard this before. He said, he said beta amyloid plaque, which is the, the cons widely considered to be the main driver of Alzheimer's. There was a study that just came out this week, some of you may have seen on the news, that, that showed that they were able to reverse the plaques in people with a certain medication. But see, Dr. Moore is saying, hold on a little bit. Beta amyloid plaque, when it runs amok, sure, it's a problem. But did you know that that's the most critical part of the brain's immune system? You don't want to get rid of all your beta amyloid plaque any more than you want to get rid of all your cholesterol. Those are, those are designed in your body for very, very important purposes. And when you start playing uh, with this and thinking, we're just going to get rid of all this cholesterol, we're just going to get rid of all this beta amyloid, 
That's when problems start happening, so much so that Dr. Moore talked about a study done in Europe where they found, they developed a vaccine that removed plaque in the brain completely, just got rid of all the beta amyloid plaque. Guess what happened? Those individuals started coming down with meningitis. What do you want, a little bit of a risk for Alzheimer's or dying within a week or two of meningitis? Okay, and so in other words, we have to not try to get a shortcut to fix the problem. We need to step back and ask the prudent questions. What is actually causing this in the first place and address that? Okay, so I'm going to end tonight with this, with this uh, interesting study by Dr. Ewan McNay. And this is actually a, a slide from, from his presentation that he did on YouTube and uh, Ted Ted uh, Med in Albany. So this is from the University uh, at Albany uh, in, New York, in New York State. And, and he, in his research, he's an expert at understanding the relationships between diabetes, prediabetes, insulin levels, and Alzheimer's. And this is very, very powerful study. And uh, he, he, basically, he basically showed that insulin, as it's being produced in the body and in the brain, by the way, the brain produces its own insulin for a good reason. Okay, so as sugar goes up and as sugar comes in from, your, from the food that you eat, that sugar, by the way, is necessary for you to make a memory. Is sugar bad? No, it's not bad. Without sugar, you die. Right? So you have to have the right amount of sugar, okay? And, and, and so he says that without enough sugar going into your brain cells, you can't even make a memory. You can't retain a memory. But in order for that sugar to go into your brain cell, your brain has to make insulin and enough of it to get that insulin to go into your, into your brain cell. And so, uh, essentially what, what he's saying here is that if your brain, like your body, has become resistant to insulin, even high levels of sugar in your body and your brain are not going to get into the cell because the cell's resistant to insulin. So now you have to make more and more and more insulin to try to compensate for that. And as you do that, the brain becomes more and more occluded with excess beta amyloid plaque, old, oxidized, damaged beta amyloid plaque. Beta amyloid is not the problem. The problem is that we're trying to force the brain to make excessive amounts of that plaque without any outlet, just like we get plaque in our artery walls. It's not cholesterol's fault. It's everything else is driving that process that we got to fix, the underlying cause of that problem. So uh, in, this, in this study, Dr. McNay was showing that, that if, if, you're looking, uh, if you're looking at the ability of the hippocampus, the, essentially the short-term memory center of the brain and its ability to, to make memories, and that's dependent on how much sugar those hippocampal cells are getting. And so so at the very point that they inject insulin into these mice, you see in uh, in the mice that are are normal, they're not insulin resistant, the blood sugar goes pouring into the brain cells 
and, and the mice uh, make a memory. They, they, they remember that. They're able to walk through the maze real effectively. But in the group of mice who have become through their choice of exposome, their lifestyle choices, they're not exercising, they're not eating healthy food, they're drinking soda instead of water, literally, um, they, they, they have become resistant to insulin, and so even though you inject insulin into the mice brain, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The sugar doesn't go into the brain cells, no memory is formed, and therefore no memory is transferred to the, the main brain centers. So, and to top it off, to top this off, Dr. McNay has shown that when the body is trying to fix the problem by making more insulin, right? The pancreas is just being forced to produce more and more insulin. There's, there's a cost to that. There's, there's a, a health cost to that. We already alluded to, we'll, we'll document more later how that drives cancer risk high blood pressure risk, heart disease risk, uh, autoimmune risk. But how does it impact Alzheimer's risk? Because see, the single most important lifestyle or, or medical risk factor promoting Alzheimer's or dementia in general, uh, besides the genetic mutations, which we'll talk about tomorrow evening called APOE4, that uh, is, is basically insulin resistance. That's the number one risk factor. We know that people with diabetes are at least twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's. Okay? And it's because people with diabetes, type 2 diabetes, are essentially insulin resistant. That's the main cause of type 2 diabetes. So, so the, the problem here is that the body has various enzymes in the brain and elsewhere that break down insulin. See, so as soon as you make insulin, the insulin does its job. Well, then your body's got to break it down. If, if your enzymes don't break that insulin down, what's going to happen? That, that if you maintain a high level of insulin, that'll drive your sugar so low, pretty soon your brain will shut down and you'll, you'll die of diabetic coma, right? So, so the, the, the answer here is that the, these enzymes called insulin-degrading enzymes, okay, real clever uh, name, uh, IDEs, they break down the insulin to protect against super low blood sugars. Guess what? This is the very same enzyme that is also responsible for breaking down excessive, unhealthy, oxidized beta amyloid plaque, which interferes with memories in a dramatic way and, and drives the risk when in excess. And so if we're a body and our enzymes are constantly working at degrading high insulin levels, how much effort is it going to be putting into getting rid of that excessive, unhealthy beta amyloid plaque? Much reduced. So that is one of the mechanisms uh, by which insulin resistance in this pre-diabetic syndrome uh, strongly drives Alzheimer's and becomes the first strategy that we want to implement to lower our personal risk of developing Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is now being referred to as type 3 diabetes of the brain. Type 2 diabetes can also be referred to as Alzheimer's of the pancreas. Two very similar conditions operating in different parts of our body 
impacting our risk for future health in a dramatic, dramatic way. So what we've done tonight so far is that we've given you a little peek into uh, the reasons why every single person should be aggressively evaluating their personal risk for prediabetes, their personal risk for diabetes, because chances are, if you're over 40 years of age, you already have one of those two conditions, and that becomes one of the main drivers of untold uh, dramatic increases in risk for heart disease, cancer, and Alzheimer's disease. So tomorrow, uh, in part two, we're going to be looking more at how diabetes is related to other things that we may have not really understood uh, uh, and how that impacts our future risk for, for living long, healthy lives. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, uh, we are officially done for tonight, uh, but I would, I would actually uh, like to, if any of you would be interested, and I know some of you already are and, and have talked to me, but if any of you are interested in participating uh, as a volunteer in helping coordinate, or I mean, let me start over, <laughs> in helping um, uh, facilitate a, a table uh, in, in one of our groups for the Diabetes Undone program. Uh, I'd, I'd like for you to stay by, and then I want to talk to you just for, a, just for maybe 10 minutes.